0: Jesus never struggled with an identity crisis. He knew full well who he was. You say, well, who was he, preacher? He was God. And he knew it. He was God in the flesh. He was the incarnate son of the living God. The very express image, Colossians says, of God. He didn't struggle with that. He knew that. In eternity past... He existed as God the Son, God in the flesh. He knew who he was, and watch this. And he knew that the Father had given him all things, and watch this, and that he was come from God, and he went to God. He was about to go back to the Father. He knew everything that was taking place. He knew everything that was about to happen. In fact, this was according to plan. Everything. He knew this was his last meal, his last evening with these men that he had walked with for three and a half years. Very intimately, just shared everything with them. He poured himself literally into their lives. Verse 1 says, he loved them and to the uttermost. He loved them and to the uttermost degree that you could love anybody. He couldn't love them anymore. He couldn't have done anything further or more to prepare them or to bless them or to pour himself into them. And he knew, sitting there, what was already about to take place. He knew that Satan had already manipulated the mind and heart of Judas. The same Judas that sat probably just beside him. So here he is. So what does he choose to do? What are Jesus' actions in that room? This room that was on the third loft of a building? It was customary that there be a pitcher of water so that when you enter the room you could have your feet washed by a Gentile servant, not a Jewish servant. Their feet were stained and dirty and soiled. It was customary when you would enter a room like that that there be a pitcher and a basin and a towel and The Gentile servants were there, hired servants were there. So they, as soon as you entered, you took your sandals off. Everyone's feet were stained and soiled because they walked the dusty roads. It was ceremonially unclean. It was rude to sit there with unwashed feet. It was disgusting. Nobody wanted to be there or do that. But there was no Gentile servant present. So Jesus looks around the room and he sees as all the disciples are leaning back, reclining against this round table, sitting on the floor. They're leaning back with their feet extended. So Jesus knows he's about to leave his men. He knows Judas, the man sitting beside him, most likely has already planned to betray him. And he knows who he is and he knows that all power is in his hands. And he knows he's God and he knows he's about to leave. So what does he do right then? Look at verse 4. Jesus rises from supper. So he stands up and he lays aside his outer garment. And he took a towel and he girded himself. That means he wrapped it around him. Verse 5. After that, he pours water into a basin. And he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And to wipe them, the feet, with the towel wherewith Girded. Jesus stooped down, took his outer robe off, got his hands dirty, and washed their feet. He, he assumed the posture of a servant. He assumed the role of somebody that was more concerned about serving others than he himself being served. I want to talk to you this morning on get your towel dirty. True or false? He who dies with the most toys wins. You ever heard that? Doesn't that seem to be the culture of our country? You want to be a real winner? (laughs) You get as much as you can. Get as many toys as you can get. Get the nicest, the fastest, the baddest, the biggest, the freshest, the newest, the prettiest. You get all you want, all you can have. And you live it up. You satisfy yourself. Get more, get more, get more. That statement seems to sum up the approach of life of most people living in our culture here in America. More money, more stuff, more position, more prestige, more cars, more boats, more houses, more vacations, more perks. Comfort. And a lot of it. In 1975, Bill Gates, who's the Microsoft founder and chief architect... He dropped out of Harvard his junior year, moved back to his hometown of Seattle, Washington, and he launched what he called a shot in the dark there in his garage with two other friends. The rest is history. Not just billionaire, multi-multi-billionaire. In fact, at one time, his net worth was over $100 billion. He's currently worth $86 billion right now. And according to Forbes, the 2017 Forbes list, he is still the wealthiest man on the planet. Several years ago, in that year alone, he made enough money in that year alone to give $6.70 to every single person on the planet. Bill Gates could buy every single professional sports franchise in America, in major American sports. That's every team in the MLB, the NBA, the NFL, and the NHL. And if you're a lady and don't know what I'm talking about, just ask your husband when you get home. Here we go. He could buy every major sports franchise in our country and still have 65% of his net worth left over laid end-to-end in dollar bills, his worth, his wealth would stretch to the moon and back six times. That's 3.8 million miles, by the way. According to CNN, at one time, he was worth 46% of the value of all the gold in Fort Knox. Years ago, in an interview with Barbara Walters, y'all remember her? Just after he moved into his $96 million dollar, home outside of seattle he gave a tour to barbara and to the news crews there at 2020 she interviewed him and they were getting close to christmas it was close to christmas and she said bill tell me something you're the wealthiest man in the world we're getting close to christmas what does a man like you want for christmas I mean, you already have everything. What possibly more could you want? You know what he said? Two words. What do you think Bill Gates said he wanted for Christmas? More money. I'm not here this morning to bust on Bill Gates. But doesn't that characterize the life view and philosophy of so many? Not just outside the church, but even inside the church, I'm afraid. More. 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 I want more, more stuff, more toys, more money, more power, more stuff, more trips, more comfort, more perks, more convenience, more prestige, more recognition, more self-gratification. And if that philosophy really is true, listen carefully, then Jesus Christ was a colossal failure. Born into a peasant's home. Reared in obscurity. Only had three years in the spotlight. Only had 12 close friends and followers at his death. And one of those betrayed him. One doubted him and one denied him. He was arrested and he died a criminal's death. He was cut down in his prime. He never ascended to an earthly throne. He never led a national movement or revolt. He never muscled his way in the prominence or human greatness. What an absolute failure from the world's standpoint. But I want to ask you something. Was he really a failure? You know that he wasn't. You know that Jesus was the greatest mover and shaker the history has ever known. He's the greatest motor of men, the greatest leader, the greatest difference maker who has ever lived. So I ask you this morning, how in the world did he do it? Nobody has shaped as many lives as Christ had. Nobody has changed as many lives as Jesus had. Nobody has transformed eternity like Jesus has. Then how did he do it? Was it his entrepreneurial ability? Did he pull himself up by his own bootstraps and rise to the top of the corporate ladder and step on people on the way up? See, he probably won't be invited to speak at Harvard Business School You won't find his name in Forbes. No, sir, that's not how he did it. That's not how Jesus changed the world. That's not his leadership style. That's not what he embraced. That's not what he taught. That's not what he lived out in front of the eyes of the world. It's Thursday night. He's in that room with his disciples and there's no Gentile servant. Nobody was going to wash anybody's feet. That was demeaning, that was disgusting, that was unthinkable and unheard of. And I can imagine right now in the context it fits that over here you have James and John and they're talking about sitting on the throne when uh, the kingdom is restored and and they're arguing over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom and they're fighting for thrones. And then Jesus silences them by reaching for a towel. And he did what none of them wanted to do. He did what they were not going to do. And he washed their feet. What does that mean? What does it mean he washed their feet? It means he served them. It means he who was the greatest became the servant, the lowest. He who had every earthly reason not to did none of them were ever going to think about doing. And that's stooping and serving. I want to tell you this morning, you're never any more like Jesus than when you stoop to get your towel dirty and serve somebody else. Did you know that that's not easy? Did you know that's not popular? Did you know even in church, even among Christians, That's not what's cool. That's not what gets the press. That's not what makes the headlines. That's not what pampers our flesh. That doesn't give us the willies. I want to tell you three statements, and then we're going to pray. And I want you to listen very carefully this morning. Statement number one, getting your towel dirty pictures Jesus. You know, there's a reason verses 1 through 3 are in Scripture. Those verses not only establish the context to help our understanding, but these verses also, listen, they establish a contrast to let us know from a human perspective that, listen, Jesus had every reason in the world not to do what he did in verses 4 and 5. He had no earthly reason, no earthly motivation to wash their feet. In fact, given the circumstances, had we been in Jesus' shoes, we wouldn't have done it. We would not have served. You see, he had every human reason to be self-focused and self-absorbed. He, in essence, is saying goodbye to his dearest and closest friends. We find that in verse 1. In other words, he had every reason to be preoccupied with sadness. How many of you know when you're sad, you're not thinking about others. You're not thinking about serving them and blessing them. Not when you're preoccupied and overcome with sadness. And he knew that he was leaving these men. I'm sure as a human, his heart was broken. I don't know about you, but when I'm sad and broken hearted, I'm not too interested in meeting your needs or serving you. You're probably not either. And we understand that, don't we? We understand the st- The power of human emotion. When you're discouraged and overcome with sadness, you're probably not. Your first inclination is not going to be to be the first one to jump at an opportunity to get your hands dirty. Verse 2 tells us that he was being betrayed not by an enemy but by a close friend. He had every reason to be preoccupied with hurt and even anger. Betrayed not by an enemy but by a friend. Humanly speaking, from somebody that he trusted. Somebody that we would have trusted. I mean, uh, uh, Judas' character was so impeccable, they entrusted him to take care of the money. You don't do that and allow somebody that you suspect of being crooked to let them take care of the money. Our tendency is that when we're betrayed and when we're angered and when we're hurt, we're not really thinking about how we can bless and serve other people. And verse 3 tells us that he knew that he was God. He had nothing to prove. He had the absolute right. Listen, he had the right, and only Jesus has the right, to preferential treatment. You say, wouldn't that have been selfish? No, because Jesus has the right to the best of everything. If we're just talking about rights, now you and I don't have any rights to preferential treatment. And we're the ones demanding everything, correct? Correct. Jesus had all authority and all right. That's why it's hard for us as humans to really understand the glory of God and the concept of the glory of God. We can't even fathom it. He had the divine right for somebody to wash his feet. He could have been preoccupied with self-importance, but he wasn't. You see, verse 1 teaches us to serve when we don't feel like it. I just don't feel like serving. I don't feel like getting my towel dirty. I don't feel like it. I'd I'd rather not. Uh, My emotions are too frayed. I'm too wounded. I'm too hurt. I don't feel like serving. I'm going to take a vacation. Can't somebody else do it now? Let somebody else do it for a change. Jesus didn't take a break from serving somebody and lowering himself. You ever have time in your life where, you know, just... Frankly, just to be honest, doggone, you just don't feel like serving somebody. You kind of feel a little entitled. You know, maybe somebody needs to serve me for a change. Sometimes we get that way in the home. As husbands and wives. You know I, I, you know what? I, I do enough for this family. I do this, I do that. I don't ever get thanked, don't ever get appreciated. Maybe maybe it's time for somebody else to just do something. I'm, I'm just... You ever feel that way where you work? I just don't feel. I I, I heard somebody groan right there. I just. (laughs) I do enough around here. It's about time. You know what? I'm going to get what's mine. Let somebody else do it. You ever feel that way in a relationship, a friendship? Man, this is always one-sided. I always feel like I'm the one reaching out. I'm the one doing this. I'm the one calling. I'm the one reaching out. I'm the one trying to encourage. I'm the one buttering up. I'm the one. I'm I'm not doing it anymore. Verse 1 teaches us to serve even when you don't feel like it. Verse 2 teaches us to serve those that are hard to serve. You got anybody like that in your life? Just to be honest, they're not on your top 100 list. You're not inclined to invite them over for lunch. (laughs) They get on your nerves. They're aggravating. Their personality classes with yours. And you just as soon not be in the same room with them if you can avoid it. Guess who the first one? Probably the first one who got their feet washed that night guess you see why do you believe that because remember in the other parallel passage when jesus gave the sop he said the one that i give the sop to is the one that betrays me and at the passover meal the the head of the table would begin and he would dip it and he would pass it to the next person sitting beside him That's why the other disciples didn't even pick up on the fact that Judas was the one to betray Jesus because even after Jesus explicitly told them that, they still were clueless and they missed it because they thought he was just passing the bread and the cup to Judas. And so that night, when Jesus stood up and grabbed the bowl and grabbed the towel, the first one he came to, the first one he came to, was the dude that was about to stab him in the back. I couldn't I couldn't have done that. Or at the at the least, when I knelt down, I'd have grabbed his foot and kinda of twisted it off, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know? <laughs> like a true servant with grace and kindness I'm telling you the most Christ-like thing you'll ever do is to bless somebody on purpose when you know they've hurt you the deepest when they've maligned you and talked about you and hurt you and criticized you and lied and betrayed you you'll never be any more Christ-like and when you die to self when you bless them on purpose, somehow. And then verse 3 tells us, teaches us to serve even when we think we'll be the one being served. Man, it just seems to me, just seems to me as much as I've said about my crucifixion, and this is the last night I'm going to be with them, it just seemed to me that they would be the ones to wash my feet. Everybody in this room, everybody in this room, you feel the tendency from time to time to, 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 to stand on top of that mountain. It's about time I get served around here. Here, here. Uh-uh. You wash my feet for a change. That ain't what Jesus did. He stooped down and served them. Got his hands dirty. Got his towel dirty getting your towel dirty, pictures, Jesus. We could read Mark 10, 35 through 45, where Jesus said, listen carefully, Jesus called them together and he said, you know that they which are counted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them, but so shall it not be among you. Whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, shall be your servant. Whoever of you will be the chiefest shall be the servant of all, for even the Son of Man came not to be served or to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Why are we trying to reach for position? Why are we fighting for self appeasement and self entitlement when Jesus said, If you really want to be great in the kingdom of God, forget all that trash. Start grabbing your towels, get to work serving others. Get to work blessing others. Get to work giving to others. Not for the applause, not for the recognition, not for the limelight, but because this is how I live my life. This is what I demonstrated for you, and this is how I want you to live. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And he took upon him the form of a servant. Number two, getting your towel dirty promotes the true spirit of Christian discipleship. The spirit of true discipleship is selfless servanthood. True discipleship has nothing to do with a position. It has nothing to do with comfort. It has nothing to do with self-promotion. But the true spirit of a disciple is to be a servant. I'm going to serve. I'm going to, as one writer said in the title of his book, I'm going to descend into greatness. Not go higher. But greatness comes by going lower. Luke 9, 23, and he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Deny himself. Not exalt himself. Not promote himself. But deny himself And take up his cross daily and follow me. No wonder Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 15. He says to this group of Christians at Corinth. Who they were a bunch of scoundrels. They falsely accused him. They were hard to deal with. They had sin in the camp. And they didn't want to repent. They didn't want to deal with it. They were a bunch of hard-headed Christians. And here's what Paul said. I will very gladly... Spend and be spent for you. I love you. You're hard to deal with. You're a bunch of immature baby Christians. You aggravate me. You falsely accuse me. But I'm going to keep spending for you. And I will exhaust myself for you. Paul had the true spirit of discipleship. Then I close with a statement. I want you to listen. Don't pack up. Don't pack up and don't leave. If you can help it. Getting your towel dirty promises supreme joy and fulfillment. It's interesting. Jesus said, if I'm your Lord and Master, then I want you to go wash one another's feet. And it gets down to verse 17. And he says, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. You know it's right. You know it's wholesome. You know it's good. But just knowing, that's not where the blessing comes from. You see, the blessing doesn't come from knowledge. The blessing comes from obedience. And I'm afraid that in our church and the churches like ours, you and I, you and I hear enough preaching to absolutely smack dab turn the world upside down. If we just do it. You know? We're not... our problem is not lack of doctrine and lack of preaching our problem is lack of obedience lack of living it out and he says verse 17 happy are you makarios is the word it means supremely blessed supremely happy oh real happy not just happy real happy woohoo kind of happy Choked up kind of happy. My team just won the national championship happy. I just got an unbelievable raise happy. We just found out we're having a baby happy. That kind of happy. I don't care what else happens today. My day's good because of such and such kind of happy. That kind of happy. Now, CP isn't telling you this. Jesus is telling you this. And he's saying, if this is how you live your life, I promise you, you're going to be happy. You're going to be more blessed than what you can possibly imagine. Because that's where true happiness comes from. Not by being selfish, not by being a self centered prune. True happiness comes when you begin to serve other people, not when you're sitting there keeping a list with your spouse. When you burn your list and you throw that list away and you say, I'm going to serve you. Jesus said that's the only way to live. Acts 20, 35, I've showed you all things, how that in so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus. Paul said, how Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than receive. It's more blessed to give. There's two kinds of people in this world. Two kinds of people in this auditorium takers or givers which one are you where do you fall here's the truth he who dies with the dirtiest towel So I ask you this question. How dirty is your towel?